Hey everyone, this is Taylor Halverson from Book of Mormon Central. We've had a lot of requests to add our weekly Come Follow Me videos with myself and Tyler Griffin to our podcast. We are very excited to do this. However, just know that we use a lot of visuals in our videos. So if you ever want to see the visuals, check out Book of Mormon Central on YouTube. We hope you enjoy. I'm Taylor. And I'm Tyler. And this is Come Follow Me for the Book of Mormon Year, Insights and Applications for the Scriptures. Today we'll be talking about Mosiah, one through three. So today, we, in, in this scripture block that we're going to be covering, we're going to be focusing on uh, what it means to become a true Christian and why, we, why that's important, especially in today's world, to become a true Christian and, and how you become this true follower of Christ, which involves taking his name upon you, uh, obtaining a remission of your sins, retaining that remission of your sins. The quick overview of what we're going to be covering in Mosiah's chapters, Mosiah chapters 1, 2, and 3 is chapter 1, he's teaching his children, his sons, and preparing them because Benjamin's right at the end of his life. He's going he's gonna to pass away three years after this speech. And so he's preparing them, teaching them about the scriptures and the importance of the brass plates and about passing on these prophetic traditions to the people. Then in chapter 2, he begins his speech at the temple and addresses some really important concepts that we're going to uh, discuss briefly, and then chapter 3 is a message that he receives from an angel to deliver to the people. And then in next week's lesson, we'll finish with chapter 4, which is the conclusion of the speech, chapter 5, the outcome of the speech, so on and so forth. But And when we talk about becoming true Christians, it, this is fun. Tyler and I love words, and we love talking about words. Uh, it turns out in English, Words that begin with B, that word there actually means fully or completely, 100%. And we have lots of words in our language that do that. For example, the word beware means to be 100% and fully aware, or Jesus is the beloved. It means he's 100% fully loved by God. And so becoming literally means to have fully arrived. And we only do that through Jesus Christ. So as we are becoming, it actually is, we're on this path, this plan of salvation. This, the plan of salvation is the covenant path. And as we hold to the rod, as we've talked about in previous videos, and we are becoming true Christians with our focus on Jesus Christ. And this is absolutely a beautiful set of scriptures. It's funny because every week we jump in to do these videos and I think, oh my gosh, these are my favorite chapters in all the Book of Mormon. And I feel that every single week. So let's just give a brief overview of what's going on with King Benjamin's speech and actually how it helps us become true Christians and gets us focused on the covenant path. And just as a brief overview, pre previous videos we talked about there's two major covenants of the covenant path. There's the Abrahamic covenant, we find that in the Old Testament primarily, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, where God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you property posterity, and prosperity. Again, prosperity means to have God's presence with you. And God puts himself under covenantal obligation to provide these things for Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant is God's duties to us. On the other side, the other covenant is the Mosaic covenant. When God saved his people from Egyptian bondage, he brought them to Mount Sinai and through Moses delivered to them a whole set of covenantal instructions laying out for them how they could show their love, their loyalty to him, 
and be bound to him in covenantal relationship. And if you go to chapter 20 of Exodus, that's where we, where we find the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are essentially these summary instructions for how to be covenantally faithful and true to God. That is the covenant path. And you can summarize the Mosaic Covenant, our duties to God, if you keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. Now, how does this fit in to us and to King Benjamin's speech? It turns out that King Benjamin's speech is actually essentially modeled on the Mosaic Covenant. And what we'll hear is instructions about how we can be more like God, how we can be more of service to those around us, how we can be more loving and kind. In fact, much of what happens in King Benjamin's speech are instructions for, for us to be on the covenant path. And King Benjamin also spends time explaining God's roles and duties to provide prosperity. And that actually is about the atonement of Jesus Christ. So let's jump in and talk more about what King Benjamin is doing for us and modeling for us. Often when you, when you find scripture stories and you, you understand what's going on in their historical context, you can use them as a lens to view certain things in the, in the eternal nature of, of God's plan of salvation for us. Um, no lens is going to perfectly reveal every element of the plan, but you see little, little insights. In this case, there's a, a microcosm that we can uh, picture where you have a king. He has blessed, he has served, he has provided for, he has protected his people, King Benjamin, for many, many years. And he's gotten his people to a certain point. Now, in this case, he realizes he's, he's old, he's going to be passing on, and for his people to progress, they're going to have to accept his son as their new king. He's gonna, that son is going to take them to, to new, new heights as they move forward as a people, culturally. And so it's a beautiful uh, overlay to say um, Heavenly Father, even though Heavenly Father doesn't wax old, he doesn't, he, it doesn't apply on that level at all, but it's the idea of Heavenly Father saying to the people, his children whom he has loved and served and blessed so beautifully that he says, if you want to progress, you need to accept my son as your new king. And the analogy stops there. It's it, nothing else beyond that. But it's this idea of King Benjamin telling his people and his sons, I'm going to give you a new name, a name whereby you're going to be called, and the new name is going to be the name of Christ that they take upon themselves in chapter 5 at the very, very end of the speech. So it's a beautiful overlay for us to consider as we seek to become true Christians, truly converted to Jesus Christ, that we have to accept all of the, the teachings that he has offered us and the covenants and the obligations associated with, with what it means to be a true Christian to be able to really progress. Um, and in chapter 1, Benjamin begins first with his family. Before he teaches all the people in chapter 2, he begins first with his children. And he's going to spend this time that is precious, um, parents sitting down, taking time to teach their children the, the gospel 
and to teach them how to read scriptures. And in this case, he's teaching them uh, the importance of these uh, brass plates that are written in Egyptian. So there's great effort put into these children to teach them how to not only read but then continue to produce and write scripture moving forward. And that pattern is the same for us today as far as understanding the scriptures. The best teachings in the scriptures are probably going to come for most in the home between uh, family members as they seek revelation from God for their family as they open up the scriptures and do the best they can to unlock meaning. There's, there's great power in that and we see that throughout as you go through chapter 1 pay attention to the types of things that King Benjamin is teaching his sons. So, before we jump into chapter 2, I just want to read just two verses in Mosiah 1. And what's fascinating here is, as Tyler's been talking, King Benjamin in some ways uh, models for us like what it, God the Father does is he teaches us truth and he teaches that to his sons and his uh, daughters. I actually love King Benjamin's name. I actually love names and words in, in languages like in Hebrew. The word Benjamin, and then we'll read a couple of verses here, comes from two Hebrew words. The word for son is Ben, and Yamin actually means the right hand. In fact, if you've ever heard of the country Yemen, it actually means the south because you face east and your right hand is where the south is. And so Yemen is the southernmost like Arab-speaking country. So son of the right hand. So Benjamin's name actually is a signal to even think about Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the son of God's right hand. And then later we're going to be talking about the chosen king, Mosiah, and we're not absolutely sure what his name means, but there's been some strong suggestions that his name is related to the Hebrew word Messiah. And so King Benjamin in some ways acting as God the Father, symbolically as Tyler talked about, has appointed a Messiah who will be the king who will lead the people on the covenant path. That's kind of what's going on symbolically here, but let's talk about as family members why talking about the scriptures matters so much. Let's take a look just briefly at two verses here. Verse 7, King Benjamin says, And now, my sons, I would that you should remember, it's an important word in scripture, Whenever you see remember means pay attention, to search them diligently, that's the scriptures, because the scriptures are the covenantal instructions that God has preserved for us so that we can know how to be on the covenant path. That ye may profit thereby, and I would that ye should keep the commandments of God, the covenantal instructions, that ye may prosper in the land, have God's presence with you. That's what we um, at sacrament we want. We, we partake of the sacrament and we promise to remember Jesus Christ, keep the commandments, and in return, have God's presence. According to the promises which the Lord made unto our fathers, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these great promises that we would all have posterity, property, and prosperity. And then again, in verse 11, and moreover, I shall give this people a name, that thereby they may be distinguished above all the people which the Lord God hath brought out of the land of Jerusalem. And this I do because they have been a diligent people in keeping the commandments of the Lord. As we make and keep covenants, we receive a special name. In fact, all of you who've been baptized have received that name. It's the name of Christ that makes you a Christian. 
And as we mentioned earlier, becoming true Christians is an ongoing process of continually reaffirming that covenant, covenantal community, covenantal relationship we have with God. And that's what King Benjamin is setting up here. He's going to give a speech about how to stay faithful to God and what it means to accept the real king who is Jesus and that Mosiah is in some way the symbolic stand-in for Jesus for the people. So, on the day of King Benjamin's address, all of the people gather together, and I love the fact that they didn't gather in social groups, they didn't gather in clubs, um, they didn't gather as, as a congregation, so to speak. It, um, the, the gathering point for his speech in verse 5 of chapter 2 is, every man according to his family, and then it lists off the family. and you'll notice it says every family being separate one from another. They worship in families. They don't, they don't split up according to their ages in this context here. They're worshiping as families, and the whole Come Follow Me program is intended to bring families together to sit at the feet of prophets, um, both ancient and modern, to study the words of God that are coming to us from those uh, prophetic sources and to make sense of them as a family. And you'll notice a lot has been written and spoken about the fact that their tent doors were facing uh, the, the tower that was built there, a lot, of, a lot of beautiful insights into what direction our family's tent doors are facing. You generally go the direction you're facing, you generally move the, the, in the direction that your, your eyes are looking, and I love the fact that these families together jointly are facing the prophet of God standing there on that tower delivering the words. And if you look at the opening part of his speech, um, there are some really powerful insights for what it, would, what, what it means to, uh, to go to general conference or go to sacrament meeting or go to any meeting in the church or in a family setting, a family home evening, or a family scripture study. Look at some of the verbs in verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9. So these are the words which he spake, and he caused to be written, saying, notice this, my brethren. Now, just right out, out of the chute here, that's interesting language coming from a king because kings in antiquity are usually powerful rulers, it's all about them, it's all about building their kingdom, King Benjamin is one of the most Christ-like uh, kings you're going to ever find, Christ-like leaders, where because he has so much power, he serves so much, and he treats people as equals, and he opens his speech, my brethren, instead of my people or my subjects or my servants, it's my brethren. So that's really powerful in, in our own family and in our own teaching settings in the church that we don't create layers of talking down to people. Benjamin showed us a beautiful what it means to be a true Christ-like leader or teacher is to breathe the air, walk the soil that the people we're, we're loving and serving um, are walking and breathing. And uh, then he says, all ye that have assembled yourselves together, you that can hear my words, which I shall speak unto you this day. Now here's the part. I have not commanded you to come up hither to trifle with the words which I shall speak, 
but that you should hearken unto me, open your ears that you may hear, your hearts that you may understand, and your minds that the mysteries of God may be unfolded to your view. I love the fact that he's, he's hitting so many different aspects. It's not just look at me or listen to me, it's open your eyes, your ears, your mind, your heart. I want, I want everything you've got focused on what I'm about to teach because he's, he's confident that God has inspired him with some things, and then in chapter 3, the, the angelic message, this is going to be a life-changing experience for them, but they have to be open to it, they have to be receptive to it, and it means they have to have all their communication channels open or they're going to miss some things. King Benjamin is one of those rare leaders throughout history, and it's actually the kind of leader God wants. A few videos ago, we talked about Deuteronomy chapter 17, or God's expectations of kingship, a bunch of things he didn't want kings to do, don't seek after wives, don't seek after silver and gold, don't oppress the people, don't take them into apostasy. What God wants a king to do is to have the scriptures, preserve them, read them every day, and teach them to his people. And what does King Benjamin do? That is what he does. He is the ideal leader. Now let's just draw this triangle here. We are in a covenantal community. We live in this Western world of individualism. We all just think we're going to save ourselves. But God actually has revealed that we are part of a covenantal community. And we, so if you see, look at the King Benjamin triangle. Tyler pointed out how King Benjamin is not putting himself in the place of God talking down to the people. He realizes he's covenanted with God. He's also covenanted with the people to do certain things for them. And we listen to the king who's been appointed by God to lead us on the covenant path. And these might be prophets as well. And we also covenant with God. So there's this triangular relationship. And listen to what King Benjamin says. Verse 14, I myself have labored with mine own hands. He's not sitting there as a king, as many leaders throughout history have done, ingratiating themselves with the labor of others so they can just sit around and be fat, dumb, and happy. We see that with King Noah. It's one of the main reasons King Noah fell, because he, King Noah, put himself into the place of God. And God's like, that doesn't work. I'm moving you out. Further, he says, I don't do these things. I have not done these things that I might boast. Neither do I do these things do I tell these things that thereby I might accuse you, but I tell you that these things that you may know that I can answer clear conscience before God this day. Meaning, back to Deuteronomy 17, I know my job as a king is to teach you the truth and a model for you how to follow Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse 17, uh, verses 16 and 17, Behold, I say unto you that because I said unto you that I had spent my days in your service, I do not desire to boast, for I have only been in the service of God. Serving others actually is to serve God. And behold, I tell you these things that ye may learn wisdom, that ye may learn that when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, you're only in the service of your God. And one more, behold, ye have called me your king, and if I whom ye call your king do labor to serve you, then ought ye not to labor to serve one another. It's just ideal leadership. It's all about loving people as God has shown us. And completing this triangle, which is all about being in this covenantal community. And back to individualism, um, we cannot be saved unless we are in a community. 
Now we are saved as individuals, but it's within a community. So it's kind of this, this tension of individualism and community. That's beautiful. <clears throat> the comparison being to Jesus himself when he tells his apostles, he who is greatest among you shall be the servant of all. Um, Jesus being the ultimate example of the king who serves the people, not to take the glory for himself. Anytime anybody tried to give him the glory, he would deflect it back to Heavenly Father. Beautiful pattern for us. Now, King Benjamin launches into a, a very, very interesting little sequence here in verse 20 and 21 when he talks about if you were to give everything that you have, notice his wording, if you should render all the thanks and praise which your whole soul has power to possess, to that God has created you. Jump down to 21. If you should serve him who has created you from the beginning and is preserving you from day to day by lending you breath, that you may live and move and do according to your own will, even supporting you from one moment to another, I say, if you should serve him with all your whole souls, those are those are 100% words, all and whole, yet ye would be unprofitable servants. The word unprofitable is very simple if you simply say, wow, God's putting more in than he's getting out. And Benjamin says if we were to give him all of our whole souls, we would, we would still be unprofitable servants. That's a, that's a fascinating concept as we contemplate moving forward on the covenant path. Um, I want to share a really quick story to illustrate this, a personal experience. Uh, many years ago, I was uh, out in my garage. It was Christmas Eve. I was, I was doing some last-minute things, went out the, the garage door, come my little six-year-old Kinley and my four-year-old Jarrett at the time. And they came out into the garage and they were all excited and Kinley act as, acted as voice for the, for the two of them and said, Dad, Jarrett and I have been talking and we feel really bad because Santa Claus brings us presents every year and all we give him is cookies and milk. So this year we've decided we want to give Santa Claus a present. I thought, oh, that's precious. I, I wonder what it's going to be <laughs> from a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And uh, Kinley said, the problem is, is we went through our treasure drawers and we don't have anything that we think Santa Claus would want. And so we, we were talking about it and we figured that because he lives in the North Pole and because he's flying in his sleigh, it's kind of cold, we thought maybe he could use another pair of socks to help keep his feet warm. And uh, my heart was touched as they're, as they're talking through this, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder how they're going to resolve this one. And she said to me, the problem is, is none of our socks will fit him. So, Dad, can we, can we have a pair of your socks to give to Santa Claus? And I said, yes, that would be, that would be wonderful. At which point, Kinley pulls her hand from behind her back. They had already gone to my sock drawer and picked out a pair. And they said, can we give him this pair? I don't remember the exact sequence of the conversation at this point, but I remember the elements were something like this. Uh, one of them asked, do you think he'll like them? I said, yeah, he'll like them. Do you think they'll fit him? Fit him? And I said, yes, I guarantee they'll fit him. Uh, will he actually wear them? 
I said, I can guarantee he will wear them. And they'll warm a lot more than just his feet. They'll warm his heart. And these two little kids, excitedly, with huge smiles on their faces, ran back into the house to wrap up their present to Santa Claus. And by the way, they wrapped those socks in wrapping paper that, uh, that I had purchased. They used tape on that wrapping paper that I had paid for. They got a card out of a set of cards that I had paid for, and they used a pen that I had paid for, and they wrote a little note. Dear Santa, we love you. Thank you for always bringing us presents. We hope you enjoy these socks. Love Kinley and love Jarrett in four-year-old and six-year-old's uh, writing. Um, that note will forever be treasured by Santa Claus as uh, in that moment I realized everything I give to God, everything I try to place on the altar, everything I offer to him is nothing more, nothing less than me saying, can I give these socks to Santa Claus? Because I, I don't have socks that would fit him, but can I give him your pair of socks? Um, my wife and I have, uh, have ten children. I've been through this experience of birth, watching this process ten different times. And brothers and sisters, never once have, have I held a brand new baby, looked into that baby's face, and turned to my wife and said, hmm, I wonder what we're going to be able to get out of this one. You're, you owe us big time. You have to pay us back. I've never once done that. Parents don't want to be repaid by their children. You don't have children so that you can get something out of them. You have children so that you can love them. Your heart opens up. You, you welcome them in and you provide for them. If earthly parents can get this, heavenly parents understand this perfectly and completely. King Benjamin is giving us this perspective of you're never, ever, ever going to be able to repay our heavenly parents and our Savior Jesus Christ for all the things that they've given us, and they don't want us to repay them. They want us to love them and love each other and serve each other. So it's a, it's a beautiful principle and it's a, it's a good place to be if you feel like an unprofitable servant. Um, you can now go to God more, more fully and plead with him to give you things that you can then give back to him. As Elder Maxwell once said, everything we give to God could rightfully be stamped return to sender with a capital S. I want you to look at, as you're reading these chapters, particularly chapter two, how many times does King Benjamin say things about like the phrase, keep my commandments, you shall prosper in the land. You might just pause for a moment, just pause the video and look through chapter two, even back into chapter one, how often are phrases like that appearing in this speech? What is King Benjamin trying to do? Remember we talked about the Mosaic Covenant, which is all about our obligations to stay on the covenant path. King Benjamin, as a leader on that path, is trying to keep his people holding to the rod. And as you go through and mark all those passages about where Benjamin is reminding us 
how and why we should stay on the covenant path by keeping the commandments. You might ask yourself, what in my life have I done recently that's kept me on the path? How have I followed the commandments of God? You might even think about Tyler's story and say, what things have God, have, have God, has God given to me that I've actually given to other people or back to him with love and a full gratitude of my heart? And I hope what you'll see is that all of us, we are imperfect, but all of us have been striving and all of us can find things that we're doing to show that we have been committed to God and that we are part of this covenantal community. And so I don't think King Benjamin is here trying to make anybody feel like you're evil, you're bad, you're destitute, but actually embracing them like you have everything before you. Here you are at the temple listening to my word. Take heart that your heart has been with God and that he wants to save you. And as you stay committed with your heart in the right place, you will find the peace that you're looking for. Okay, now let's let's shift our focus to Mosiah chapter 3. As we jump in here, this is a very, very unique chapter on, on a lot of levels. One, King Benjamin uh, gave his words in chapter 2 and then he opens with chapter 3. Um, we, we become aware of the fact that these aren't just King Benjamin's words alone. The an, an angel came to him and gave him these words to deliver to the people. And uh, the language in chapter 3 is just lofty. It's, it's exulting. It's elevated. Just beautiful on, on every level. I want to share a, a little experience with you that I've that I had on a couple of occasions with a couple of different uh, uh, apostles sharing this kind of an analogy. The Joseph Smith Papers Project has been working to publish all of Joseph Smith's writings, speeches, correspondence, everything associated with Joseph Smith. Um, if you and it's all free online. If you go to josephsmithpapers.org, you can look up the journals section of Joseph, and you can see his very, very first journal that Joseph ever wrote. Um, it's actually uh, up in the church history uh, library in Salt Lake City on display. If you open the, the journal number one to page one, you will see that it has on the Joseph Smith Papers website, you can see the actual journal writing, and then you've also got the transcription, so you can read it. Notice the date, 27th of November, 1832, Tuesday. Just to put this in the timeline, Joseph Smith did the bulk of the translation process in the spring and summer of 1829, and then it's published and, and finished in 1830. We're now three years and a little bit after that. So he's, he's had a lot more experience. Um, and here is his first record that, that he wrote. Notice it says, Joseph Smith Jr.'s record book bought for to note all the minute circumstances that comes under my observation. Apparently he looked at that and said, uh, that, that doesn't read right, that doesn't look good. So he crosses that out and says, let me try again. Joseph Smith Jr.'s book for record bought on the 27th of November, 1832 for the purpose to keep a minute account of all things that come under my observation and etc. Oh, may God grant that I may be directed in all my thoughts. Oh, bless thy servant. Amen. 
We have about 28% of the original manuscript, uh, the church does, and we've got the, the printer's manuscript. We don't have large sections that are crossed out and rewritten in the original or the printer's manuscripts of the Book of Mormon. But his first effort to write a journal three years after he's done the Book of Mormon translation, he's, he's crossing it out, it's clunky, it sounds very, um, shall we say, farm boyish, uh, and people will say a lot of really, really bad things about Joseph. It's easy to, to dig up dirt on people. Um, the reality is, is I have a testimony of Joseph Smith, the prophet, the seer, and revelator of the Lord, the instrument that the Lord used to bring forth the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the, the, to restore the gospel and the priesthood and the church to the earth. I absolutely have, have a testimony of Joseph the seer. I don't have a testimony of Joseph the farm boy who's writing in his journal in November of 1832. He, he's a man, and Emma late, much later in life said that her husband, Joseph, could barely dictate a coherent letter, let alone write one, at the time that she married him, which is the same time that he's doing the, the translation process of the Book of Mormon. I love the fact that God uses simple uh, farm boy type people to do his work to build up the kingdom of God throughout history. Um, it's, it's empowering to us today to say, God can take me with all of my imperfections and in some parts of my life it's, it's very, very poor and I have to keep crossing out my work and trying again and again and again, but God can work through me to bring forth amazing truths because it's God who's doing it, not me. Joseph was simply an instrument. He wasn't the source of the book. He was the instrument that God chose to do this, this latter-day work of restoration. Now contrast what you read in Joseph's journal where Joseph is writing as a man or as a farm boy, contrast that with language that you hear now coming from King Benjamin as the words of an angel delivered to these people. I'm just going to read a few of the verses and listen to the, to the, the flow and the feeling of these words. Start in verse 5 of chapter 3. For behold, the time cometh and is not far distant that with power the Lord Omnipotent who reigneth, who was, and is from all eternity to all eternity shall come down from heaven among the children of men and shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay and shall go forth amongst men working mighty miracles such as healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the lame to walk, the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and curing all manner of diseases. Jump down to verse 7. And lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every pore, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people. And this all culminates then with verse 8. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, and his mother shall be called Mary. It's not, it's not our job to try to convince you that Joseph Smith is a true prophet or that the Book of Mormon is true. That's the, the job or the responsibility of the Holy Ghost. All I would say is as I read this book, uh, I am drawn in my mind and my heart. I'm drawn to Christ through the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm drawn to the Father. I, I want to be better. My thoughts are elevated. My, my desires are deepened to, for discipleship. I love Joseph Smith, the, uh, the prophet and seer of our Lord, and I have a testimony that he was absolutely inspired, and I believe him with all my heart when he says, the book was translated by the gift and power of God, not the uh, power of the intellect or the power of, of mortal reasoning alone. I love the fact that we live in a day with modern-day prophets, just like King Benjamin. If you look at verse 13, God explains why he sends prophets, and we have them today, and we can listen to their words at General Conference or in other settings. We also have modern-day scripture, an ancient scripture. All these things were given of God as gifts to us that we can know that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me read verse 13. And the Lord God has sent his holy prophets among all the children of men to declare these things to every kindred, nation, and tongue, that thereby whosoever should believe that Christ should come, the same might receive remission of their sins and rejoice with exceedingly great joy, even as though he had already come among them. The whole point here is to have joy. Yes, there's suffering. We've all had difficulty. We can all think of hurts and pains. And this is the consequence of being alive. Sometimes I wonder really what I was thinking when I voted to come down here when I'm having a bad day. But then you realize that joy is always the possibility of keeping the commandments. Yeah, I've had bitter moments, but those bitter moments have prepared me to experience greater joy than I have ever known because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I know in my own life, when I have chosen to trust Jesus, to believe him, I've had joy. And when I've chosen to be focused too much on myself and the things of this world and kind of forget who God is, things have not gone well. And that's why these things have been revealed, is that we can have joy. And we ask you just think to yourself, when have you had joy in your life? And how is that aligned with when you have been connected and focused on God and His Son? Um, verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19, is one of the most famous verses, not just in King Benjamin's speech, but in the entire Book of Mormon, where he speaks of the natural man being an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Now, you'll notice how he follows this up and also becometh as a child. And then he lists a whole series of attributes of children. Submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things that the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child doth submit to his father. The fascinating thing for me is to, to notice that every list of good attributes in the scriptures 
regardless of who it's describing in the immediate uh, audience or in the immediate storyline, every good list is simply a description of Jesus Christ. You want to become a true Christian. You want to be more like Christ. Every time you come to these lists, it would be worth your time to mark each element in whatever way works for you and contemplate, perhaps begin with times in Jesus' life where he demonstrated those different attributes, those characteristics, those perfections, so that you can come to understand the character of Christ, his, his being so that he becomes more than just a painting on a wall or a statue on your shelf or a name on a page, but he becomes more real to you. He, he becomes more relatable, more understandable. So, for instance, becometh as – we could replace the word child there with becometh as Christ. Nobody was more submissive than Christ. His whole life was submitting his will to the Father. Meek, humble, patient. You could think of examples and stories throughout his life and in the scriptures where he modeled those attributes and those perfections. And then don't stop there because it's it's not enough for us to just uh, stop at the glorifying Christ realm but to say, I want to emulate him. That's what the covenant path is all about. It's a path, a way to become like him, not just to return to the presence of our heavenly parents, to, be, to become more like them. And so we could think of times, and unfortunately every one of us is going to be able to think of the negative times where we weren't submissive, where we weren't meek, where we weren't humble, we weren't patient, but hopefully we can become more intentional, more purposeful in our prayers, going to God saying specifically, I need help. I want to be more like Jesus. It begins with this desire in our hearts and we plead with, with God to help us be more of these attributes and then be patient with ourselves be humble with ourselves in the process of stumbling along this covenant path, which some of us more than others spend more time on the ground trying to figure out how we fell yet again, but gratefully that, that rod of iron is there at all times to help us get back up and keep moving forward. And uh, for some of us, this last line is really important, being willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him even as a child doth submit to his father. Brothers and sisters, some of the greatest tests of your discipleship, some of the greatest tests of your character are going to be what you do with things that God has given you that aren't pleasant. It could be health concerns, it could be family struggles, uh, relational issues, it could be emotional, mental, financial, spiritual, struggles and wrestles that are given to you by God and instead of shaking our fist at heaven and, and cursing the heavens for why is my life so hard, why do I have to deal with this when they don't, instead of that to follow Christ's example which is perfectly laid out for us in his phrase when he goes into Gethsemane and falls to the ground, his prayer is, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee remove this cup from me, but then he follows it up with, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, not my will, but thine be done.
you do whatever you need to do and I will, I will be submissive, I will be meek and I will do it. And quite frankly, that is a blueprint for all of us as we go through life that God gives us things that are really hard and just like he didn't take the suffering away from Jesus in Gethsemane and during the trials and on the cross, often he doesn't take them away from us immediately in this life as well because that's where we learn the most about God and about ourselves in the process. So, Tyler and I really love spending time with you guys. It's just a joy for us to be with you every week. We love God, we love the scriptures, and we hope that you feel God's love as you get back into the scriptures and come follow him. We want to remind you this comes from Book of Mormon Central. We have lots of great resources. Uh, if you go onto our website and click under the Teach uh, link, and then under that it's Come Follow Me, Jasmine Jimenez Rapoli has created a study guide for every week, and actually day by day, we provide recommendations of what scriptures to read from the reading block, and then we have a whole bunch of links to videos and short articles that are supplementally might be useful. And we hope that you find those valuable. Also remember the Scripture Plus app, and we just really love you guys. We really appreciate your comments. We read them. We try to respond to every one of them. So keep, keep commenting, and we'll see you guys next week.